Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. I have a very special guest today, the one and only Gordon Miller, and I asked him to please give you some backstory on how he got to be such a force in the industry because there is just too much for me to possibly fit in, and I want to do it justice for him to get a really great introduction of how We've been so blessed to have us fighting for us in the industry for decades. So, Gordon, thank you for being here today and welcome. Thanks, Elaine. Um, well, first off, we got to meet in person recently. So thank you so much for for making that trip to an event that I was at for BeautyCast Network. It was we got to sit next to each other and, and get to know each other a little better. And so thank you for that. And thank you for this invitation. Um, so we're going to do a three-parter, and, and it'll take all three parts to explain my career, and then <laughs> and part four, <laughs> we'll start. Well, I'm going to do the very short version, because I've been, I've been at this in various iterations of myself for the last 40, coming up on 44 years in the professional beauty industry. I'm not a hairdresser, not a salon owner, came into the industry by accident as a closeted young gay man, I like to say. I won't give all that backstory, but um, I'd moved home <laughs> after college, and I knew I didn't want to do what I was trained to do, which was go to work in the investment finance world, um, which kind of sucks because my, my best friend in college did the same thing I did. We have the same degree, and he, he retired a multimillionaire at about 42. Um, so. Wow. <laughs> So anyway, but I, I didn't want to do that. And, and I, I found a part-time job um, and didn't know what it, it was and ended up being in a chain of beauty schools and salons. Fast forward, uh, they liked me. I liked them. I noticed there was a bunch of gay people there. And I was like, oh my God, what is this world? I don't understand. Because uh, I, I grew up with not a lot. We didn't go to salons. So um, that's how I got here. Um, years later, Pivot Point found me. About seven years later, brought me to Chicago. They got me into the education space and publishing. Um, but I also learned prior to Pivot Point how to run beauty schools. That was my thing that the owner decided I might be good at since I had a college degree. She thought I was very special. Uh, not so, but I was the only one in the, in the whole company of close to 200 people um, with a college degree. And that gave me this little weird advantage that was not deserved. Um, anyway, then Pivot Point, then Milady Publishing. Um, fast forward uh, a little farther, and I am an executive director of the National Cosmetology Association, which is where I found social media. Facebook happened, and I was like, oh, my God, everything's going to change in the beauty world. Um, and it did. And um, other things happened. We won't take the time to talk about those much, but I ended up being publisher of American Salon. Saw the magazine business collapsing around me and just said, unless, mm. we, unless we do certain things, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and the company I worked for, which is a much larger parent company, wasn't up for those things. They didn't think um, the magazine world would collapse. Um, guess what? Um, beauty has almost no magazines left. And um, five and a half years ago, I, I, I was um, uh, joined Hairbrain as president and CEO. Um, did everything I went to do, and, and I'm in my final chapter of my career now, uh, next three to five years, and I have a bucket list of things I want to do. So today I'm back into the consultancy space. I'm working with brands to help them understand e-learning and, and building community. Um, I'm launching a couple of events because I, I, I really want to make a mark in the event space because I think our events need to evolve, and I don't think they've evolved enough. That excites the Amen. heck out and then I, I love to give back to the industry by sharing my own content, which is my presence online, my own podcast, socialbeautymakers.com, and then the content I'm putting up on the web. And, um, and there's a free e-newsletter over there, too. So that's me. 
Well, I am not a fan of long car travel, um, especially as a passenger. If I'm driving, I'm a little better about it. As a passenger, I'm like two hours is my absolute limit. Uh, and I'm with you. this event came across my feed on my, somebody tagged me in it on Facebook for a gathering in um, near Orlando, Florida, which is about two hours for me. And I looked at it and I was like, ah, Orlando, if I never get to Orlando again, it'll be too soon. And I swiped it away. And then it popped back up again. And I was like, let me see who's going to be there. And as soon as I saw you were going to be there, mm -hmm. honest to God, not to be like a little brown noser, but I was like, oh, hell yes. Like oh. I am going. And the topic that you were slated to share was a big hell yes for me too, because you were going to be talking about AI and how it's going to affect the beauty industry. And yep. Lucky for me, I have two children that are pretty tech savvy mm -hmm. and we're sitting on the sofa the one night and my son's like, check this out. And he types in, you know, something to chat GPT. And I'm like, what is that? I never even heard of it. We were writing children's books mm -hmm. in a minute. Oh my gosh. Yep. I was asking it, you know, I've colored my hair too dark and I want to be blonde again. What do I do? And it gave step-by-step -step exact instructions that I would, as an educator give. And I was like, Oh crap. I just reinvented myself as a full-time educator yep. from being a salon owner and educating and training staff to being a virtual educator and specializing in hair color. And I'm like, Oh, what great timing. I did all this right before the pandemic. It was perfect. Everyone was home. Yep. I ran virtual events. Yes, this you is did. So amazing. I can travel with my kids. And I'm like, Crap, now a computer is going to replace me with, with the answers. No. So I'm like, I need to be there. <laughs> it, it, it's not, so. is the great thing. I mean, is it, I, I keep calling it like a research assistant. You know, it's like it's, it's yes. like a supercharged Google, you know, where Google just finds us links. And this does a little bit more than that and creates content. But it, it takes that expert to really review the content. It'd be like it'd be like old school, like you had a beauty school assistant, you know, so somebody who was kind of following you around or still in beauty school, they're assisting you doing different things. And you say, go do X. Well, you have to go check their work. Someone who doesn't know their work might go, oh, that looks great. They're, they're, but you as the expert, oh, we have to refine this a little bit. Same thing. True. Very true. And it's not always accurate because no. my son, there was a contest on Instagram and it was one of those, the first person to answer like the radio thing. We were like, oh, so it was this big thing written out. Like, I am this, I am that, I am this, I'm that. And it said, what am I? And we copied and pasted it, put it in Jet GPT, and we said a poem, which we never would have said a poem. And my son wanted to say a brand. He was like, mm. I would say a brand. And then Chat GPT said a poem. The answer was a brand. Oh, so interesting. it's interesting that it's not always right. And if we start to lean too heavily on it and replace thinking and coming from a place of experience yep. and an, an inner knowing, you know, we all have that gut instinct that we were born with it most times is right. And I already referred to a hell yes and a hell no. Mm -hmm. And that hell no, every time I've not trusted the hell no, it's been a disaster. You know, I think intuition will always trump technology for certain decisions. And, and I think, you know, some, some really good context, you know, is, is Google, because a lot of people are, you know, like, um, comparing the two. So the other night, you know, I, I, I decided to, to cook some chicken, I got some chicken breasts. And I looked at the label and they were skinless bone in chicken breasts, which was an error on my part. That was not what I wanted to do. So I Googled, okay, what do I do with this? Because I don't ever get it with the bones. <laughs> I was like, what do I get? And like five recipes popped up, but only one of them 
had the bone in. And the one that was most interesting to me didn't, but when I clicked on it, I didn't even realize until I was I'm like halfway through getting ready to, to actually cook it that I that Google gave me the wrong thing. And so again, mm. technology is so imperfect. We, you know, we rely on Google so heavily, but you really pay attention to what's going on Google, you can get a lot of bad information. So, and Google doesn't, Google doesn't vet anything. I mean, Google will give you links to people who talk about things that may or may not be true. Um, we know that I think all Very of us as, as citizens, no matter what side of politics you are, you know, there's fake news and we know that the online world will give it to us. It's up to us to sort it out. And on that note, how terrifying is the fact that it's been discussed already with this uh, AI technology that someone can create a bot of me with my exact voice, mm -hmm. looks exactly like me, yep. and create videos where I'm saying something that I have no idea that video is even being made. I'm like, that yep. is terrifying. So with well, anything, with, with the internet, you have all this great information at your fingertips, and then you also have you know, sex trafficking and pornography and all the things that are negative. So with anything, there's always going to be positive and negative. And, but and, and I any, fear, go ahead. No, I, I just gonna say any example you can give, you can take three steps back and it's already happening before this technology happened. So all through the election, oh, 100%. Right, we saw these yeah. videos that were being edited to change people's words even though it was really them they they splice them together they slow the speed down and they do things and, and people look at them and go oh my god that person said that because they look so real it's a so it's just a different iteration of bad people doing bad stuff you know and and it's always been here since the beginning of time and and it will continue and we just have to be you know on high alert Absolutely. Well, there were so many great topics at this event and, and such a great surprise when I walked in and I saw that it was, you know, a roundtable discussion and not a big, I'm picturing walking into a big auditorium and a typical right. hair event. And I'm like, do I really want to drive? And then I was like, oh, I'm so sitting next to Gordon. I was Gordon on the right, Penny on the left, the person who hosted the event. I'm like, I want in on every yep. second of this information because this is like, my total passion is everything beauty industry. And it was such a great mix of people from totally different backgrounds within yep. the industry and yep. seeing everyone's different perspective. And I was so fired. I mean, I know I grabbed your ear afterwards and I could have kept you there till midnight, but I was so fired up when I came home because there's so much work to be done. And, you know, you and I talked before we hit record about, you know, everything is just put into these like, big open categories that there's so many subsections within that nobody's really yep. diving deep into. And it almost feels like the blame game. I start every class with, I'm going to share something with you that is completely opposite from what you learned in beauty school or from any manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So it's true that I'm going to share something that was not taught. I'm not saying that they are right or wrong. I'm saying it's different. And the, the information continues to come from that first step level because the textbook is not being updated. The systems are not being updated. The content is not being updated. Mm -hmm. The state board questions are not being updated. Yep. And I go on my, my power walk and I'm talking to somebody on my earbud and I'm like, I just have such a passion for creating a school that from the second you walk in there, it's all real world things that you use behind the chair. Yep. The caveat being... They could never pass the state board and get their license. So it's well, like this catch 22. It's a crazy catch 22. It's, 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 you know, again, I've been doing this a long time. 
the state board system was created by hairdressers for the industry. And we've all, we've forgotten that as an industry, we, now the industry sees itself mostly as a victim of the state board system. It's like, we created it, yes. we could, cha we could change yes. it, number one. And so many of us talk about exactly what you said. Um, the state board system, I think when you talk about most problems in the industry, um, that have to do with people coming and going, you almost can always take a dotted line back to the state board system. You know, people aren't learning the right stuff, state board system, which has to do with the test. And, and I'm not blaming like the state boards or the state board people, it's, it's, it's something bigger. It's like looking at any political issue in the entire country that you have passion for, again, no matter what side you're on. Usually, you know, when you take a big step back, it's like reality has just gotten blurred by, by you know, uh, the problems themselves and people's emotions around the problems. And, and then we get all tribal, we fall back into our, our little areas, you know, certain types of salons, certain types of schools, certain types of organizations. And we get so busy, you know, in our own little places, you know, our emotions around these issues that we don't solve anything. And you heard me say it many times to the general meeting, we were all talking with each other. You, as you said, we had schools, we had salons, we had high end, we had chains, we had a little bit of everybody. And, and to me, it's like, we've been talking about the same, I've had this same conversation for almost 40 years and nothing ever changes. It's like, come on folks, let's, let's get serious here. So what is your opinion? Because you have worn so many hats and you've been at this for so long and bonus, you're not a hairdresser. So you don't have that emotional connection to the actual craft part of it that people mm -hmm. hold so close to their chest mm -hmm. and fight for. What do you see as for someone like me that has this passion and purpose and all these other people that I talked to are like, yeah, you know, we're, I feel like we're storming the castle in uh, Beauty and the Beast to like save the beast. <laughs> um, it's like, we, we all have the passion for it. And it's like, it all comes back to money, right? It's huge Many amounts ways. of money to start a beauty school. Yep. And I'm 55 years old. You shared with me, you're a little bit ahead of me and have mm -hmm. wonderful, fabulous skin. Thanks to your mother. We love her. <laughs> moisturize, moisturize. That was another mm -hmm. takeaway. Yep. Uh, but, but where do we begin? What can I do as my little world with my little, you know, group that follow me? How can I start the ball rolling? How can I make the biggest impact? Where did, where do I start? I mean, I, th I think there's two ways to think of this, and I'll, I'll use a, a, a separate, I'll use like a metaphor, a personal one. So, so my passion in my personal life, in terms of quote unquote changing the world, I think we all need to have at least one. There's so many different ways we can change the world. My my passion is around the issue, the terrible issue of hunger, and so, um, and I've it's been an issue for me uh, years ago when I started making a reasonable amount of money. I was like, you know, I, I need to give more money back, you know, and so I was you know giving a little here there, and I, I finally settled on this as one thing where I can put my a singular effort and maybe make a little bit more of a difference. And as I got more passionate around that topic, I realized that, yeah, you can try to address the big global issue as, or the big issue within our country and, and give money and participate in different ways, write letters, do all those things. Um, and or you can get involved locally, you know, and you can there's many things you can do. I support my local food pantry, you know, financially and, and, and with my time. And and there I, I feel that I, I'm making a more specific difference, but I try to, to participate in both ways in our industry. Um, we are where we are. You know, so anybody who wants to make a change now, um, go find a person, a group of people, um, something kind of at the micro level and and take that passion and make a difference in a person's life and a group of people's lives. And again, there's many ways to do that. You do that in your work. That's what I love about, you know, coaching and educating, you know, people who are doing it. 
um, in, in classrooms and in small groups, you know, the big beauty shows, that's a whole different version. But I think that, you know, one on one is, is absolutely critical. And then big picture, it's a systemic problem. Again, hunger in America. How the hell is that even possible in my lifetime that we have hunger in America? It's insane. Um, won't get into the politics of it, but you know, it is something that's fixable. Um, it's, it's almost like a giant math equation. We have more than enough food in America to feed everybody. Um, and so yes. you know, that's where it gets crazy. We have more than enough um, talent, ability, wherewithal, um, new energy coming into the industry to train people really well and prepare them for the job market and, and take people's success to a higher level. We have the ability to do those things. What gets in our way, you know, is, is the bigger world, you know, in, in our example, that is the state board system, that is regulation, more generally speaking. And then you have all the, you know, the, the, the larger um, segments of the industry, and, you know, they have their interests, which is okay. Um, and, and as the world's gotten really complicated, different types of salons, different types of schools, different types of jobs, different types of needs, all of it sits on top of a 50, 60 year old legislative system. Um, that was created at a time where everything was different. Um, Absolutely. It was created at a time when roller sets mattered. <laughs> and finger waves. <laughs> finger waves. And so we teach now, I come from pivot point from a technical perspective, and I'm passionate about what, what I do know about hairdressing. And I, I will say I've sat in more haircutting demo classes than almost any hairdresser alive, um, is that <laughs> that old classic work is foundational for everything else that followed. And so there's great value in learning it. Um, is it is it the end all be all that you must learn this stuff that we should not evolve the system? Um, no, I mean, we, the system must evolve and it must evolve in, in many, 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 many different ways. And when people say, oh, the you know, state board system is so important, it protects the public, you know, from us hurting them. I'm like, yeah, that's like a 40 hour course. So if we're going to use that as our explanation as to why we have these laws in place, I think we're I think we're not being honest with ourselves. You know, I think it, I it, it doesn't it doesn't take, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred hours to do that. Now, I could argue it takes more time than to prepare someone to have a great career, but that's not the legislative mandate, you know, behind the industry. I believe in regulation, um, but I believe if we continue to sit on the sidelines and just let it be, we are remaining victims of it. And um, a lot of people are having not the careers they expected to have, you know, period. And it's, and it's our fault. collectively. Yeah. It's funny because, and this probably won't be a popular statement, but when I first heard about the deregulation that there wasn't, there's was no longer going to be licensing and testing. I was like, hell yeah, this is when I'll open a beauty school because I want to teach people how to actually do hair, cut color, all the things that they need in the salon. Yeah. Of course, to your point, you want to make sure you don't hurt anybody, but we would talk about that. But when I do my CEUs, I didn't need them in Pennsylvania. I need them in Florida. Every single year, it's a thing about AIDS and a list of 10, it takes me 10 minutes to do it. And it's the same thing every two, I'm like, how is this it's, proving to the state that I am, you know, proficient behind the chair? It's I mean, not. The history of the industry is so fascinating. So, you know, CEUs, a big part of the C, first of all, CEUs exist, it's either 11 or 13 states, that's it. So that's important to recognize. The majority of states have never required continuing education hours to maintain your license. That's interesting. Like, wh wh why do some have it and some don't? Why? Yes. Then, then there's the economic side of it, because I can tell you as someone who lived through it, a lot of those rules were put in place by associations and or companies who sell education 
And so you had some really powerful state associations. Um, the Carolinas is a good example where they locked in CEUs, but it was the primary way that they survived financially. So they made an argument that everybody needed this, but the reality was they needed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they needed it. And I, I would argue, I, I can't find much in the CEU space that, um, makes me happy that professionals are required to take it at, at this point in time. I also think, you know, even our practical exams, you know, are, are um, questionable at this point in time. Yeah. And they're gone. Like PA did away with practical. It's just a written exam. Illinois did too. And by the way, there's been no problems. You know, it, it's not like, yeah. it's fascinating when you look around the country, different hours. I've said for years, it's like, so how many hours is the right number of hours? I, I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that we have a bunch of states that charge or not charge, um, require a thousand hours. We have other states that require 18, 1900, 2000, 2100, 2300 hours. So take those two extreme examples. We're a grown up industry. Like we should be able to figure this out because without figuring it out, the reality is that somebody's being harmed in this, in this example. Is the person going to a state that requires a thousand hours? Are, are they less employable? Are they going to make less money? There's no proof of that. Um, are they being shortchanged somehow under education? There's no proof of that. Is the person who's going for 2,300 hours, are they, are, are they, you know, making more money than the person going a thousand? There's no proof of that. And I'm not in favor of one over the other, but, but, or are they being required to go to school longer than they need to because somebody's making money that way off of them? I mean, and I'm, again, I don't think there's anything diabolical going on, but as a larger industry, like we owe it to the future generations to figure this out, like figure it out for God's sakes. 100%. And I loved the conversation. I forgive me, I don't remember the girl's name that was fighting for the compact that the nurses have. Yes, less or licensing would be that to me, I'm like, Oh, please tell me where I need to be to march in favor because I, I wanted to move to California. When I when I ended up moving to Florida, we were talking about California. So I had to fly to California in person to have my picture taken to get my California license, which was new to me. So that was a whole trip that it was involved. Oh my gosh. And I keep renewing it because I'm like, anything that I have, I want to keep, I don't want to have to go through it again. Yep. So I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, California, and Florida. And truth be told, I don't really need any of them because now I'm teaching full time and I'm not really even doing any hair, but I keep them because you yep. know it's been, yep. it's been a long time. But having it be to your point, it's it's no different if someone has five or more years experience their experience it shouldn't matter if they live in chicago and hawaii right. or in tennessee you know it's your license you're qualified to work as long as you keep up with your license and you're not doing it in your basement with a you know rusty pair of scissors everybody's happy (laughs) but that but that problem exists the only reason we even talk about it is because we can't figure out how many hours it takes to go to school i mean if if the industry over the last 50 years has spent more effort in going okay guys let's let's get let's figure this out you know and let's and let's change laws state by state by state and so that we're all the same because that's what the larger industry should be saying to itself you know it's kind of like you know let's let's prove to ourselves you know um and and we talked about this at at the event i believe like in our larger world like our institutions have kind of fractured like we don't have strong associations the way we once did and they were kind of the bedrock of of legislation and much that happened in the industry um the old nca is gone intercoffure has has a third of the membership they once did the pba is mostly represents manufacturers and distributors. They have hairdresser membership. And yes, they, they, they do some work in legislation and they're good people. I like them and respect them. 
but they they haven't made a meaningful impact you know for hairdressers i i would argue other than naha um, for a very very long time and again good people but um, the institutions that bedrock foundation just like our government and our public schools feel fractured to many of us uh, i think our industry at its base foundation uh, the part of the industry is supposed to take care of us is is, is not in good shape yes absolutely and and i reach out to as many people still in school or freshly out of school to get their feedback and mm -hmm. weigh-ins and I've gotten a hold of a few very recent textbooks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? We're still well, here? Like I went to school in 1986, it's the so same thing. Let me comment on that. So real quick, the, um, so as I mentioned in, in the intro, I was the president of Lady Publishing. They're the number one textbook company. And Pivot Point also has a, has a um, cosmetology textbook now. And so both of them have that. So I was the vice president of Pivot Point. I'd been there 10 years. I had an amazing job and I was convinced to move over to Milady. It was a great opportunity for me. So I did. But in, in my mind, I left this job. My Leo Passage, the founder of Pivot Point, my mentor, my dearest friend in life. You know, I, I you have a picture of, yeah. picture of him here. I, whenever I get stuck and I say, Leo, what, what am I supposed to do? And think about him. <laughs> um, but, but I accepted the job at Milady Publishing um, not only for all the opportunities, and, and they were significant for me, um, but I was like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to be the president of the textbook publishing company because they had a 99% market share. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to say, hey, we're going to update everything. Let's just do it. Um, I called the president of the National Interstate Council of State Boards. This is the organization of all the state boards together. And I just said, hey, uh, her name was Ori Gosnell. I was like, Ori, it's Gordon. <laughs> Guess what we're going to do? And she there was silence. She's like, you're not changing the textbook. I'm like, what do you mean? She, she's like, the textbook reflects the test. The test so is the test. the test. They had no interest in changing the test. But and what is the reason to fight to keep it the same? When they see, you and I talked about before there is, we started because recording. There, because there's no fight. The, the numbers. No, no yeah, the no, numbers speak for themselves. No one's fighting. It's like <laughs> That's why there's no fight. There's no fight, just like there's no serious fight to stop, solve hunger in America. There is no serious fight. There's, there's niches, there's groups who have great passion for it. There's a lot of work being done. Big, big, big picture. My entire life, there's been hunger in America. Again, how's that possible? In our industry, there is no fight. There is no, there is no organization in the beauty industry that's making a significant effort to in any way change the state board exam, period, um, with the exception of where you have pressure from outside the industry not from inside, outside the industry, um, mostly conservative think tank groups that are saying too much regulation. So Texas went from 1,500 to 1,000 hours. That didn't come from inside the industry. California went from 1,500, 1,600 hours down to 1,000. That didn't come from inside the industry fundamentally. There were people who grabbed onto it. But change is not happening because of us. If anything, we're the opposite. Oh, my God, somebody wants to deregulate us. Let's not change anything. And I've said for 20, 30 years, it's like, that's our opportunity to change. That's our opportunity to find a middle ground. We should we should want change. It's just we got to figure out what kind of change. Yes, it's it's all very overwhelming. It is. And I I do, you know, when I I went to a public speaking um, event with Bonnie Bonadeo, and they were talking about, you know, how to how to tell your story and all the things. It was a, it was really a career changing yeah. event. Love Bonnie. And when I start my when I started my introduction with, you know, I'm going to share with you things that are that that you didn't get taught in beauty school, and it wasn't, you know, oh, I hate beauty school because I wouldn't right. be here if I didn't go to beauty school. Yep. But there were two instructors in the audience, 
And the one got her panties in a bunch immediately and was like, I didn't like how you bashed beauty school. And I said, I apologize. It's not, it's nothing personal. You know, thank you for teaching the future of our industry. However, it's broken. You know, I know that you have a job to do and I know you have a small amount of time to do it. And I know that that's always been the answer. Anytime I say, why are we not getting this in? When I went to beauty school in 1986, I had two weeks left in school and we had not gotten to hair color yet. Two weeks left out of all those hours of setting my doll head with pin curls, doing finger waves on my doll head, turning a styrofoam head into hair using licorice. Okay. Like, why did I have to do that? It did not teach me anything. So I'm like, how can this still continue to happen? Yes. I understand that the test is all about public safety and all of those things, but then let's change the freaking test. Like if the state board's blaming the test, who do we have to talk to to change the test? <laughs> well, and again, yeah, the, the, the state board, yeah, the state board's not blaming anybody. I think the industry is where the blame game happens, you know, so it's salons blaming yes. schools, the schools blaming salons, it's everybody pointing fingers yes. in different directions. And then, then we kind of settle down and, oh, it's a test. We can't do anything about it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, okay, it's the law. And again, I think where we, so and I'm, I'm about as pro, you know, some people think sometimes when I talk about this, like I'm anti-school, like I love schools. It's like my, spent 25 years of my career, I ran, I helped run two of the biggest publishing companies in the industry. I love schools. I love students. I love teachers. And they're victims of all of this, you know? And, yes. and what I try to say to salons is like, we created the laws. Salons created the laws. If you look at the history, there's total clarity around this. We can change the laws again. If salons are not being served by the way that people are being trained and the way they're being trained is, is controlled by the law, then we have to change the law. <laughs> Absolutely. And I did like seeing the different perspectives from the beauty school owners was very interesting to me because they are under pressure of hitting certain milestones and such a short period of time. So I did, I did have much more empathy for their position on things, but I also think that they would be on board to help make the changes as well, because it would make their life a lot easier. And and, and they said that, you know, again, at this, this program we were at, you know, a beauty cast network and, and there was absolutely no doubt about that. And then you mentioned there was also a variety of salons there. So we had the president of intercoiffure, Sheila Wilson was there. We had representatives um, from both um, sports clips and great clips who were there two very, you know, different spectrums, different sides of the industry, if you will. And, you know, I think what's interesting when I'm with groups like, that is just to say also we have to always remember that we've become a pretty complex and sophisticated grown-up industry and that beauty school it 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 only gets anybody so far and we need to be conscious of that and and stop thinking because when i hear an inner coiffure salon say you know well the school hasn't trained them well enough i'm like uh, that's like you know graduating community college and then you know google saying you're not trained well enough to go to work at google it's like well they need to learn more, you know, and, and so figure out yeah. as, a, as a more complex business organization with complex needs that your needs don't necessarily define the needs of the entire industry. And so therefore, maybe the entire industry isn't regulated to teach people the end all be all of being a hairdresser, because that's not where everybody goes. You know, it's like we have to find a middle ground. This is where all the negotiation has to happen. This is where we have to bring people together at the institutional level. And it hasn't happened in decades. 
So why don't we start it, Gordon? Let's start this. Let's get it going. I'm I'm on my you final. Still have, you still I'm have on some my years left. <laughs> I, I'm on my final. I'm on my final chapter. My my but 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 my work in this is to, is to hopefully inspire conversation and to talk about it because I'm one of the few people who does, um, and sometimes it gets me in trouble. <laughs> to be frank, that's okay. That's okay. That's why I like you. I like <laughs> I like a truth teller with a passion and a purpose. You're not giving your you know. opinion at a cocktail party where it's like, oh, well, I think, you know, blah, 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 blah. But you're, you're, you're starting to try your own little thing with the hunger thing, because that's your passion. You've, you've given so much to this industry. You're not just talking, 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 you're doing things to make change. I'm a big fan of a hybrid model. I think that the assistant training experience, as much as we all you know, wanted it to go quickly because we were so excited to get behind a chair. Yep. My concern, I went to, I drove to a Paul Mitchell school for an event recently and I was chatting with a couple of the girls and they said, you know, our leaders that we look up to tell us, don't go be somebody's assistant. You're not going to make enough money and you're going to be shampooing and washing towels. And I'm like, oh, please don't say that because right. that I tried to skip that phase many years ago, I thought I was all that in a bag of chips and I knew everything. Mm -hmm. I was like, I want my own chair. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. I did not know what I was doing. And I spent a year floundering in having my own chair and then backed it up and said, you know what, that was an important piece. And I missed that. Yep. And I need to go back to it. And it's the best thing I ever did. And that's being chronically skipped. People are going well, straight from, yes, I passed to give me the keys to my suite. And I'm like, this is why the industry is like a boat with a hole in it where they're coming in, they're getting licensed, they're going on their own, they're dropping out, they're becoming nurses. That seems to be the trend. Well, and, and, and $20,000 in debt from school. <laughs> and there's a lot of nurses still becoming cosmetologists, by the way. We go back, we go back and forth as industries. It's got, there's been studies done. It's kind of fascinating. You know, I think where it gets complicated is, and this has always been the case, but I think it's more, more so today than ever. Um, two things. Um, one is, um, in assistantships and those things like things the, the level of quality of available assistantships position salons that could properly train and give you the support you need is is not what it once was and but it never was what it should have been meaning that being a mentor is not something that everybody can do not every salon owner can train staff they, they many there's just so many examples out there you know of, of people who've not made the effort to learn how to educate another person before they become the trainer in the salon. So we have that to deal with, number one. On the other side of the coin, and I think this is the most important one, young people coming into the in industry deserve to have their expectations set appropriately based on what we know about the larger industry today. In other words, here's what success looks like. Here's what failure looks like. Not everybody's gonna succeed. Here's what you know a, a typical career is. Here's what a rock star career is. And here are the things that it takes to get there. Um, I always say to people you know, that, um, again, lots have changed in the industry, but the thing that I know that is most common about people who come into this industry, like, you know, um, and that is that they fail. Um, the majority of people in the industry don't succeed. The majority of people in life don't succeed. It just kind of is what it is. That doesn't make the industry bad. That doesn't mean, you know, that it's it just that, you know, people come and they, and they go. And 80% of students after graduation are gone from the industry in three years. So it's complicated, you know, but, but I, I think when you know what to expect, you can make decisions based on some form of facts rather than, again, emotions. I'm failing. I'm failing. I'm not making enough money. 
if you just give it another year, let's look at where you're at. Oh, you're you're in your 12 year. months, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and, and maybe it's, and hopefully not always another year, but you know, there's so many people we lose because they thought they would get there faster and they had yes. no reason to, they had no reason to think that. They, they didn't get the right information. And I, I think it's so powerful when you're informed. It's interesting that we made the correlation between cosmetology and nursing because when I mm -hmm. when I torture my daughter on the beach thinking of all these future plans, I say, we need to mimic the nursing plan, like how they you know, sit in a classroom and they get all the fundamental things on how to take the blood pressure, how to draw blood and give injections and da, 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 all this stuff that matters for the textbook, but they don't get to go out in the field until they do rotations at a hospital. They mm -hmm. have to do a hands-on thing. And I'm like, yep. that would be to me, the perfect solution for all of this is a hybrid model, whether the theory happens virtually or in person, I have no preference as long as it's happening, but having that in-person piece during the hours, instead of put your time in, sit in the school, don't get any hands-on experience till the end, then spend another 18 months assisting for someone where the assistant can be happening during the hours that are required, where it's actually physical practice, that that's my dream is how I see and, it. Being. And I and I would say, you know, that that in the nursing example, in the healthcare professions, you know, they're going to hospitals that are certified for teaching, you know, so or it's regulated. In other words, there there are proof points that where they're going to get that experience that there's value in it. And again, we we're not set up that way yet. But if we were, I think I, I agree with you completely. I don't believe there's enough salons that have the wherewithal to do that effectively, you know, um, especially now that more than half of salons are rental. And, and by virtue of that, you have management not that really interested in the progression of the professional because it's a different relationship. You know, they're selling space. They're not selling a career. Um, they hope you stay for a long time. So there's, there's challenges in it, but I, I, I totally support the, 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 the bigger ideal of it. Um, um, it makes so much sense, but again, as an industry, we've, almost gone down a completely different path. And to get back to it, it'll be tricky. Absolutely. It's exhausting. And this is what keeps me up at night. This is why I don't sleep. I wish I could turn it off. I wish I could get more in the mode that you're in where you're like, hey, I've done, I've done everything. I'm, I'm on the, you know, the slow ride out of, out of here into, uh, you know, retirement, but there's just still well, so much that I have passion that I want to be part of. And, it, and, and I do, like and I do too. Into one <laughs> and I do too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have the, the energy to change the state board system, but back to kind of where we started on all this change stuff to me, that, that micro one-on-one, -on -one, that's what my whole thing in, in my, my new business, social beauty makers as small as the new big, but you have to do small in a big way. And so for me, it's like, how can I make a difference to, to to a small groups of people. Um, you know, I, I, if, if a handful of people listen to my podcast, I'm happy if it made a change for them. And so, um, yeah, my last chapter is going to be very much about continuing to make a difference, but doing it in, in ways that I absolutely know I am making a difference and I'm going to leave the hard work to you guys. <laughs> I love that. And I, and that's the perfect way to wrap this episode up. I love the small is the new big because it's, everything has gotten so fractured. And when you, when you are doing something like you're doing and I'm doing where, you know, you have the passion, you know, you're putting all the effort in. And sometimes the, you know, comparing to other people's social media followings and what it looks like that they're doing yep. really isn't the truth. And yep. it's hard to not compare. So I love that you said that because I do know that 
what I'm doing is making a difference and that's all that matters. And if I just keep plugging a lot, like don't get so overwhelmed by the enormity of what has to happen. Yep. And just one day at a time, one step at a time, one, one bite of the elephant at a time. So exactly. Exactly. thank you. I could, this could lad, this could be a 10 hour podcast. It could talk forever. It could. I am so glad we got to meet in person. I'm so happy that I was part of that event. I, so, I hope you'll reach out to me if they do it again, because that was amazing. I will. And, I, and I, I'm so glad, A, you, you came and what a great opportunity. I was so excited and got to sit next to you for the whole thing. So thank you for thank you for choosing that seat, Elaine. It, it, uh, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank to you to all of you for listening. And we will see you on the next one. Gordon, tell people how to reach you if they want to jump in on the conversation. Yeah, best is, is Instagram. I'm very present there. My Instagram handle is G-O-R-D-N as in Nancy, M as in Mary. Um, that's Gordon M. On Instagram, my email is um, socialbeautymakers. Uh, actually, it's Gordon at socialbeautymakers.com. I have a free e-newsletter on the site. My podcast is on the site, so socialbeautymakers.com too. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.